Matthew 23, 1 to 12. Um, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and the love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Thank you, people. Thanks, brother. I know that was um, a little nervous about that, but um, yeah, praise God for uh, even your journey uh, in this community. Um, Thank God that he saved you. And yeah, thanks for serving us today. Um, Let me pray before we get into God's word, guys. Father, um, I'm so desperate uh, for your people to hear from you. I know I have a lot to say, and sometimes my words are okay, sometimes they're not. But I just pray that your people, and myself included, would hear from you. Uh, Help us, just by your spirit. Open up our hearts and our minds uh, to see more than just text and words. We really, really need to hear from you. And I pray that you speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today, you know, we're in Matthew chapter 23. Um, so if you don't know this, there are 28 chapters. We're pretty close to the end of the book now. We've been in Matthew for like two and a half years as a church. It's been quite a journey. And this chapter that we're in today, it's famous for having some of the harshest language that we ever hear from Jesus, right? So in this chapter, um, we're going to hear Jesus call the Jewish religious leaders uh, hypocrites, uh, sons of hell, blind guides, fools, robbers, whitewashed tombs, we'll find out what that is, uh, snakes and murderers, some pretty intense and harsh language. And, you know, maybe you're thinking that's, that's a bit much. But the reason for the anger and the wrath behind Jesus' words in this chapter towards the Jewish religious leaders is because spiritual leadership has such power to either greatly build people up or tear them down. And Jesus loves his church. He loves his people. It is not okay when spiritual leadership results in Abuse and discouragement, people you know, walking away from the church. And the reality is the, 
the religious leaders who Jesus was addressing at this time, they had been like that. They'd been really self-seeking and manipulative, and they'd done great damage to the people. And the tough reality, the sad reality, is that this still happens today. Um, I don't know if you guys are into podcasts much. Um, I'm a big podcast guy. Uh, last year, I listened to a podcast called uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's about a famous church um, in the States. It was called Mars Hill Church. Uh, their senior pastor was a guy named Mark Driscoll. Um, and he amassed a huge following, extremely influential, wrote books. Um, and then over time, what emerged was that um, many, many people uh, who had been members of his church, many people who had been on staff at his church, uh, had actually fallen away. Uh, they'd become extremely hurt and damaged and traumatized. Uh, many of these guys um, couldn't go back to church for years. You know, I would listen to some of the, 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 the interviews with these guys, and it was actually quite disturbing just what they would share, like some of their experiences, you know, their interactions with uh, this pastor, which actually felt like you know, um, you know, this guy was speaking with the authority of God. And so you know, they couldn't push back. They felt voiceless at times. Like I said, the, r- the hard reality is that you know, spiritual leadership failure, uh, it still happens today. And if anything, it's becoming more and more public. Like you just, just Google, like, I don't know, fired pasta, and you'll just come up with so many uh, different articles about pastors and ministers who've had really public falls from grace. Um, and it's becoming apparent that many people who've opened themselves up to churches and pastors have ex- experienced what can only be described as uh, spiritual abuse, right? It's where you give your trust to your spiritual leader uh, only to be manipulated and controlled. And then you feel like you're stripped of a voice, can't say anything. I know there are some of you here this morning uh, who have experienced that kind of spiritual abuse from your leaders in the past. Uh, And I, you know, want to be sensitive as I address this topic today. Hopefully, uh, it won't be too triggering or too much for you. And I, I know there are some of you here this morning who maybe you haven't experienced spiritual abuse per se, but you just have a cynicism about, you know, church leaders and institutions because, you know, it's just what you see around you. And maybe you've had some pretty negative experiences with pastors in the past. And I want us to see that in the harshness of Jesus' words in this chapter, Jesus is actually giving a voice to the people who feel like they have no voice. See, at the start of this chapter in uh, 23, Jesus is addressing the crowds. He's addressing the people. He speaks to them and he speaks for them. And he's going to end up challenging and condemning uh, the spiritual leaders of the time. And he's going to name the very abuses that everyone senses but can't really articulate and talk about. You know, like I said, Jesus loves his church. He died for his church. He loves you. And he died for you. And whether you have that past trauma of spiritual abuse or you're just cynical about church and spiritual leadership, 
Um, this morning, I just want to let the text speak openly and honestly about the reality of these failures in leadership, uh, because that's the beginning of trust. Like when you're open about these things, when you're forthright about these things, and we're going to answer two questions. Uh, the first one is, what does spiritual abuse look like? Right? What are the marks of this kind of dysfunction uh, in a church community? But secondly, why open yourself up to spiritual leadership? You know, we're called to be committed to our churches. We're called to submit to our leaders, right? To learn to trust in them. You know, but if spiritual abuses are realities, if they're rampant, then why would you do this to yourself? Why would you risk opening yourself up to spiritual leadership? It's a good question. We're gonna look at that today. So the first thing is this: What does spiritual abuse look like? Um, and a lot Jesus, he lays out these three markers of dysfunction in a church community, right? Three kind of subheadings under what does spiritual abuse look like. The first one is the laying on of burdens, right? The laying on of burdens. And you see that right here in verse 4. So Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, these really learned men, experts in the law. And he says this about them. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And this is a hard-hitting description of a kind of culture in a church. You know what it feels like whenever you go to church, you know, you come with burdens, and when you leave, you leave with more burdens. That's what this description is really talking about. And this is what's happening to the people uh, that Jesus is addressing in this time. So the Jewish leaders, and we've been talking about this, they're experts in the law, but they've been going beyond just the scriptures, and they've been adding different rules, different regulations to God's commandments, right? man-made traditions. And at the end of the day, they were laying expectations on the people that were never placed on them by God. Right? They were binding people where God had left them free. And, you know, I, I was reflecting on this as I was just reading this passage, and this can happen in a church, right? Where a leader starts to think, it's my responsibility to make sure that that person is maturing, that that person lives a godly life. And over time, you know, you'll start to move away from the Bible and heap on these additional regulations, right? Disciplines and expectations. Uh, th they come from a desire to shape the person into godliness. But the reality is, the reality is, no spiritual leader has that power. I don't have that power. I can't make you live a godly life. I can't make you do anything. My only power is to serve you and to declare to you what the Bible says. And actually, when we go beyond that, we're laying burdens on one another that have been placed by God. I heard one pastor describe it um, with this helpful illustration. He called it staying on the line of Scripture. So he says, um, you don't go above the line and you add to Scripture. That's going above the line. But neither do you subtract from Scripture, right? And go, uh, and go below the line. And you stay on the line. You let God's Word speak for itself because God's Word has a power to transform the heart, to change us internally. While traditions uh, and these extra regulations only have the power to change us externally. I've been really encouraged just um, 
think I've said it before, just just reading through the Bible with uh, some, some, some brothers in our church and, and just seeing this happen, like seeing God's Word have the power to powerfully transform our hearts, transform us internally. You know, to see where God is amidst the craziness and the brokenness of life, for, for God's Word to have an actual impact on not just our minds and how we think about things and our perspective, but even our emotions, how we feel. When we feel downcast and low. Man, it's been awesome just staying on the line of God's Word. So, you know, Paul, uh, sorry, Jesus here is talking about uh, this first mark of spiritual abuse, like laying burdens on each other. But I just want to make an important note here, um, and that is the Bible actually does talk about good burdens too. So in Psalm 32, uh, it's about this guy who has deep sin uh, in their life, and he's trying to hide it, he's not dealing with it. And it says in verse 4, For day and night uh, your hand was heavy upon me. Right? And so think about this language, heavy hand of God. It's a burden. And it leads this person in the very next verse uh, to say this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So it's a burden that leads to repentance and forgiveness of sin. And so there are times when a burden is good because it's accompanied with a grace and a kindness of God where you remember, oh, if I go back to God, if I repent, He'll forgive me. I want to I go back. I want to be made right with Him again. That's a good kind of burden. But the Jewish reli- uh, religious leaders at the time that Jesus is talking about, you know, they're putting burdens on the people and they're not bringing these burdens right alongside God's grace and mercy. So it's not leading to repentance. It's not leading to freedom and forgiveness. It's just leading to you come to church with burdens and you leave with even more burdens. You know, that's what it means in verse 4 when it says they put these burdens on people and they don't even lift a finger to help them carry it. And it's been occurring to me more and more, the more I think about it, it's such a hardwired thing uh, for us, especially uh, as Asians, right? But actually, it's a reality for every human being. You know, many of us grow up hearing from our earthly parents, you know, you missed the mark. Maybe it's not like super harsh, right? But still, some form of, hey, you, you missed the mark. You didn't achieve quite enough. You know, maybe they'll say it like, you can do better. <laughs> more, is ex- uh, more is expected of you, and you carry the weight of those expectations your whole life, right? And that's quite damaging to hear from your earthly father. It has long-lasting impacts. It can be crushing to your soul. And how much more damaging is that how much more crushing is it to hear that from your Heavenly Father, if that's the message that's coming through from spiritual leaders? You know, your Creator, your Maker, your Father, you're not good enough. You, you need to do more. And I want to say, um, I've been reflecting on myself, and I know that there have been times in my own impatience, uh, in my own pride, where I'm not thinking about myself, that I felt it just necessary to point out 
your sin, you know, without pointing to the life-giving grace and mercy of God, that God actually walks with you even through your worst failures, even when you're at your worst self. And that's what actually empowers you to change. So it's actually going to be okay. I failed to do that. And I'm, I'm sorry. Because that's not the gospel. That's just laying on burdens upon burdens. And what Jesus says here, what he actually insists on in this text, is that leaders should be taking burdens off the people. Right? Not just putting burdens on and then heaping more burdens. Leaders should be taking burdens off the people because that's what actually Jesus came to do. Uh, and earlier on in Matthew chapter 11, uh, this is how Jesus describes his ministry. It's a really well-known passage. You, you guys might have memorized it or know it. Uh, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, Jesus removes burdens for people. You know, he does point to our sins, clearly, unashamedly. Uh, that's why he had to die on the cross. If our sins weren't that bad, he wouldn't have needed to die. But he points to our sins, but at the same time, he invites us to lay our sins down before him. Because he's gentle and he's lowly. So if you're feeling burdened today, I just want you to hear Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, 28, basically this, uh, you look exhausted. You look so tired. Let me carry this for you. Come to me for rest. Abandon your sinful self-reliance. Let me carry the burden of your sin. I'll bear the weight, and I'll deal with it even though it's going to cost me my life. Just give it to me and, and just trust me. Hear that today. That's the taking off of burdens that Jesus invites you to, to lay it all down before him. So that was the first mark of spiritual abuse or spiritual leadership failure, this laying on of burdens. The second one is uh, the hiding of hypocrisy, right? The hiding of hypocrisy. Uh, and you see this here starting in verse 3, which says, For they preach, but do not practice. And that's the textbook definition of being a hypocrite. It's where you don't practice what you preach. So these religious leaders, they're laying burdens down upon the people, and they're not doing it themselves. They're not living as... Uh, you know, they're instructing the people to live. And so in verse 5, Jesus says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, uh, for they make phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So phylacteries were uh, this small leather box, uh, about this big, had a little roll of scripture in it. Uh, and they wore them, they strapped it around their foreheads. They looked pretty funny, probably. Or, or on the arm. And they did it to literally fulfill God's law, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, which says, Therefore, uh, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. So these guys took it really literally. They made these boxes, and they put these little scrolls. That's what they're doing. And the word here in verse 5 
you know, to be they do all their deeds to be seen by others is the Greek word theathenai. It's where we get the English word theater from. And what that means is it's all a show. It's all a show. You have a costume. You have lines that you say. You know, you're pretending to be someone that you're not. It's all become the show of how holy you are. This great display of religiosity. Uh, while in reality there's secret sin. There's character issues uh, that are not being brought to the light. Uh, this hypocrisy is hidden. Uh, and maybe they hide it through manipulation or deception or even veiled threats, but it's hidden. And this is one of the primary marks of abuse, not just spiritual abuse, but it happens in families too, right? You know, where the outside is a show of this happy family, but on the inside there's a, a great dysfunction. There's a brokenness. Uh, it's all hidden behind a smile. And the same kind of hidden hypocrisy that can happen in a family can happen in the church because the church is a family. But the gospel is good news for hypocrites because our inability to practice what we preach, our discomfort at bringing into the light our real failures, our sins, when we actually do have the courage, and it's terrifying, to humbly bring our own hypocrisy into the light, this forgiveness of sin, there's a freedom from self-condemnation, and we grow in grace together. And that's why as difficult as it is, and as uncomfortable as it is, I won't shy away, and I don't think any of our leaders will, I don't think you know, DJ and Kevin will, of unveiling hypocrisy uh, in our lives. I'm not a perfect pastor. I don't always practice what I preach. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, about a year and a half ago, you know, I, I stood before you like I am now, and I confess that I really wrestle with anger in my life. And to be honest, like I failed like many times throughout. I'm still growing in grace, and I'll never, I'll never conceal it. I'll never hide it. If you want to know about it, I'll, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> I'm not a perfect pastor, but I am a, I'm a repenting pastor. Like I need God's grace and help. I need your prayers to change. And that's actually what I would love to see here in this church community, in our leaders, definitely, but actually in all of us. This is a church of hypocrites in hiding, coming out into the transformative light and the forgiveness and the freedom of the gospel. So, you know, we talked about two marks of spiritual abuse. The first one was laying on burdens. The second one was hiding hypocrisy. And the third and final mark of spiritual abuse is an authoritarian style of leadership. So from verse 6, Jesus describes this kind of self-importance that can ha happen in spiritual leaders. Uh, he talks about how, in verse 6, they love the place of honor at feasts. Uh, they love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And let me tell you, as a pastor, it is not a stretch to start to feel a sense of entitlement which says, I deserve some honor. I deserve some respect. Don't they know how much I'm doing for them? 
how much I sacrifice. And over time, that sense of entitlement, it can turn into a demand, an authoritarian demand. And a style of leadership that's authoritarian. Uh, Maybe you could be in a church. doesn't matter if the leader is extremely gifted, really sound theology. The question is, do they have a manner of love in the way that they relate to people? Or do they just have a very strong hand to get things moving? And Jesus pinpoints what that looks like practically in verse 8. So think about this, if you've seen this. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And no man, and, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And what this tells us as a church is that you know, it is appropriate for a church community to show honor to your leaders. That's even in the Bible. Right, uh, but how the leaders should view the congregation is not, I am your master, I'm your rabbi, I'm your father, I'm your teacher, I'm the one that you need. Actually, Jesus says the greatest among you is your servant. So spiritual leaders are not here to lord something over you. Actually, spiritual leaders are not even above you. Uh, they're below you. They're here to serve you to be low, to be humble, and to point you to Jesus. And, you know, it's going to look different for every one of you, (laughs) you know, because life is complicated, but really that's all I want to do. Like, I want to listen to you. I want to hear about your struggles. I want to pray with you. And then with my words and my actions, I want to do everything that I can to, to point you to Jesus and then just get out of the way so that you become transformed, so that you might experience his fatherly love, right? his wise instruction and his leadership. See, to be, chur- to be a leader in the church, right, a pastor or an elder or a deacon, a community group leader, a worship leader, a discipler, uh, you have to understand that you're not above the people that you lead, but you're actually below them. And without understanding, th- understanding this, you cannot be a leader in Christ's church. So here, you know, we get to a point where we've talked about these marks of spiritual abuse, laying on of burdens, keeping up the externals through hypocrisy, uh, author- authoritarian leadership, and t- some of us look at that and think, well, yeah, that's great um, that we could try to avoid those things, but isn't that just what the church is like, just really? Because we're all broken, we're all human beings, uh, and that's true to an extent. So uh, this leads us to the final question. If spiritual re- uh, abuses in leadership are realities, then, then why open yourself up to it? Why on earth would you do that to yourself? And here's the truth. You know, all pastors, all spiritual leaders have some, at least some of these bad qualities. So you know, what pastor doesn't lay burdens on his congregation or expects things of them that go beyond the scripture? Um, you know, I'm giving a sermon right now. I'm actually saying a little bit more than what the Bible says. I'm not just reading scripture off the page to you. And so I know that I'm going to go over that sometimes. And you know, I might lay these burdens 
upon you. What pastor doesn't worry about appearances and actually craves the honor of people? I know that's been a problem with me. I'll be honest. Man, like I really wrestled with wanting that kind of acceptance and that kind of acknowledgement. And what pastors uh, you know, don't overuse their authority at times, you know, maybe even use their position instead of character to influence people. I think all of us have done that. And so as you hear these words of Jesus indicting spiritual leaders, I hope you don't just hear it like this. You know, I'm, I'm not like them. I'll never be like them. And those guys are horrible. Like, we don't want to see that at our church. And I hope you can hear that it's not just spiritual leaders who are susceptible to laying burdens on people in order um, to want to see them change. It's not just spiritual leaders who worry about appearances and worry about acceptance. It's not just spiritual leaders who use their position instead of character to influence people, but it's actually uh, all of us. There's definitely a higher standard and a higher bar for spiritual leaders. I'm not denying that. But I hope that as Jesus brings up these things, we can all feel our own hearts being operated on in the process. Maybe some blind spots being uncovered today. Some pride being broken down this morning. And that exposure should drive all of us not to shame and hiding away and feeling crappy about ourselves, but it should drive us to Jesus. So look carefully at what it says in verse 8. Maybe you got this, maybe you didn't. Jesus says, but you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. So three times Jesus is uh, reminding us today in this text, the best spiritual leader that you'll ever be under is ultimately not your teacher. He's not the teacher, the guru that you've been longing for. Jesus is actually your teacher. Jesus is my teacher. And we're learning about him and from him together. I and the elders are not your spiritual fathers, and we never will be that. Even if our church grows and we're like 70 or 80 and these youngins come in, like we'll never be spiritual fathers. God alone is the loving father who we look to to protect us, to provide for us, and to make us secure. And we are not ultimately your instructors, right? We have wisdom that's from the Bible. You know, we can try to understand what you're going through, and we can pray, we can speak biblically into those things, but Jesus is ultimately the wisdom that we're going to point you to. He's the instructor that you need for your life. So even when I fail you, and I have, I know I have, and I will, <laughs> Why should you open yourself up to spiritual leadership? And that is because Jesus is the perfect leader, and he leads his church. He leads this church. You know, every time I stuff up and I feel horrible about myself, you know, I've said something too hastily or callous, wrong, when I've spoken out of pride, when I've um, displayed anger towards my wife and I've said something hurtful to her, um, I've just been so selfish 
I come to John chapter 21. Uh, I love this passage. Um, I hope you'll love it too. So in this chapter, uh, Jesus has died and his disciples have lost hope. They're really like, they're scared. <laughs> so Jesus has given them this commission, hey, go out and you know, like continue on doing the work that I did. But you know, he's dead, so they're scared and they just go back to their old lives. They go back to their old jobs. And one disciple in particular, Peter, um, he's failed pretty abysmally. He's denied Jesus three times, uh, just straight up, and he's given up on ministry. He's given up on doing anything worthwhile for, for God. And then Jesus, who's resurrected, he appears to Peter, and he restores him to ministry. And the way that he does that is he goes up to Peter, and he says three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And the first time Peter says, yes, and then Jesus says, okay, then, then just go and feed my lambs. And he asks him again, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I, I really do. And Jesus says, hey, tend my sheep. And the final time he asks, hey, do you love me? And then Peter says, it's, re I, it's really hurtful. Like, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, okay, then go feed my sheep. You know, I've done this three times to correspond to the three times that you've denied me. And that's such an encouragement to me you know, when I fail as a leader. Because what this means, and we see in this example of epic failure <laughs> in, in, in Peter, that even when we do, uh, really what leaders are called to do is to love Jesus and to be under shepherds of Jesus' people. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and I am an under shepherd to Jesus. Jesus is the defender of the abused, the hurt, the weary, and the broken. That includes you, and that includes me. And that gives me great comfort. <laughs> it gives me great comfort because I remember it's like I will try my best, but it's not all up to me. And it shouldn't be all up to me. I'm imperfect. I'm flawed. But Jesus is perfect. And he loves his church. In fact, he, he gave his life for his church. He died for his church. That his church might mature and grow together. So opening your heart to spiritual leaders, to the church... Yeah, it's a risk. I won't deny that. And some of you have been whacked in the face as you've taken upon that risk. But it is a risk that Jesus invites you to take as he shepherds you through it all. Because if you never take the risk, um, sure, you make sure that no one will ever hurt you. But you will never know the thrill, the joy, the healing that comes from belonging to a mishmash group of weird people who are broken, who are imperfect, who are sinful, but are repentant. A spiritual family growing together uh, into Christ-likeness. Spiritual leaders, uh, they will make mistakes. But the more the authority of Christ, the more the leadership of Christ is honored in our church, um, even through imperfect leaders like me, 
uh, and imperfect people who have real experiences, traumas and struggles like you, I really believe the more that this community will not be a place of abuse, but a place of healing. And if this community has ever felt to you even close to that, a community where you can't be yourself because you're going to be judged, you're going to be condemned, you're going to leave with even more burdens, then I'm sorry. I, I really am. And I want us together as a community to honor the authority of Christ as the chief shepherd, the one who takes our burdens off, the one who forgives us of all of our sins, the one who loves us even if we fail. I want that to be the thread and the air that we breathe in this church community. I want this community to be a place, not of abuse, but a place of healing. You know, healing means that there are things that we're going to heal from. We're not just going to be all dandy and, and, and good and perfect. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd, and we're all sheep. Let's pray. Father, I uh, just thank you for your word. And um, I thank you that your word actually addresses sensitive topics and issues like this. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you acknowledge that spiritual leaders can do great damage, and they have uh, in church history, uh, even in some of our lives today. And we need healing. Like, I think even there are some of us here today who don't know that we do need that, how much healing we need. And the only way that that's going to happen is if we realize that you're the chief shepherd, that you're the perfect leader, that you're the senior pastor of this church. I just pray that you'd help us to know that. I pray that it would be a comforting reality so that uh, we would grow in grace, so that we would live a life of repentance and faith, the new life that you've secured for us, uh, that we would have this life because that's all uh, we really long for uh, on this earth. Thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to end with some announcements.